Hello and welcome to Good Film Hunting, where we bring you film analysis for a modern audience. I am Connor Reed. And I'm Riley Hardy. And today, beginning our new series on epic films, we are talking about Dr. Zhivago, and we have a guest with us today, the great William Alexander Stevenson III, <laughs> or Billy to us. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Billy. Oh, thank you very much for having me uh, on tonight. Uh, I'm originally from Northern Ireland, where I grew up, uh, educated in public schools there in Belfast. And then I spent a decade uh, in Seoul, South Korea, uh, where I was put into public schools there and picked up a language, Korean. So I graduated with a diploma from a Korean high school. <laughs> and then I, I came to the United States to complete my education. Um, and that was my, my university education, beginning in Chicago and ending up at John Brown University in Arkansas. So educated on three different continents, uh, well-traveled. I've been to 70-plus countries around the world, and that really has enriched my life and perhaps made me into the man that I am today. So I'm very thankful for the travels. Have you been to Russia? I have not been to Russia, um, but I can say that I have a Russian son-in-law okay. um, who plans to take me to Russia. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Billy and I met um, years and years and years ago because mm -hmm. he organizes the Irish studies trips at John Brown University, the university that I went to and that my father mm -hmm. works at as well. Mm -hmm. And so we met there. We've been to Ireland three times together. and. Mm -hmm. You know, we always just talk about movies, and that's like one of our good bonding points. And it's always good to just evaluate and go deep into movies. So we're happy to have you on here, Billy. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, so today we're talking about Dr. Zhivago, the, the great epic from, oh, let me check on the year. I should have remembered that. 1965, I believe. 1965. Thank you very much, Riley. So, <laughs> man, it feels like ages ago that I watched... I know, it, does. it does, but it really wasn't that long ago. <laughs> this is like our fourth attempt at planning this night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll just go over a brief synopsis of it for those of you who have seen it a while ago or seen it recently but need a little, you know, catch her up on it or for those of you who haven't seen it at all. So, uh, so it takes place in Russia and it kind of starts off with like this little jump ahead in time where there's this army doctor there who he's like interrogating these people and trying to figure out who the daughter of his uh, brother is and so it kind of starts off with him interrogating this woman who he thinks is his brother's daughter and then cuts way back in time to young Zhivago and he is at his mother's funeral and they're just burying her and then so he goes off to live in Moscow right is that that's where they go to um, with another like family friend where uh, he becomes like like really good friends with their daughter and they kind of grow up together. He goes off and becomes a doctor and a poet and like a renowned poet in Russia. So from there on out, it's just kind of like this story of his life basically and how it gets entangled with the the Bolshevik revolution. Is it, Yeah, the Bolshevik mm -hmm. revolution and... Um, really fascinating. I mean, just showing like all the negative aspects of like communism. So, 
you just it starts off and like you see Zhivago's passions get awakened whenever um, this group of protesters gets stampeded by the Cossacks and just massacred. That just kind of, I feel like, starts him off and down the path that he goes to. He meets this other woman, um, Tanya, is that what her name Mm -hmm. is? Or, yeah, played by... Lara. Lara, Lara, that's what it is. Tanya's his um, His friend, Mm -hmm. or who becomes his wife. So, Zhivago and Tanya get married, and Lara is with this, or not with, but she kind of... I don't know, like, what is her relationship with, what, Strafsky or something? Or Komarovsky, that's what it is. Komarovsky. Where he, he kind of, like, takes her into his ward, but then he, I don't know, he, like, forces himself on her. and Wasn't that you know, his she, her her mother's lover, right? I think so, yeah. That's is that, the relation. That's yeah. what it is. It is correct. I, I would describe it as a very abusive relationship. Yes, yeah. Um, not even a relationship, like he's mm-hmm. just taking advantage of her. Correct. Like, yep. It's pretty awful. Yep. So she runs away from him, her mother dies, and then they all get caught up in the war, and mm-hmm. Zhivago becomes like a doctor on the front lines, mm-hmm. and uh, Lara is also a doctor or a nurse there. And so they kind of meet up again, strike up a friendship, and kind of start to fall in love with their first encounter. And uh, Lara marries Pasha, who is this revolutionary who kind of takes the head of the red army and becomes Mm -hmm. like their symbol and Mm -hmm. leader and all of that so at one point he it seems like he is killed on the front lines and so lara and her daughter are kind of left to wander around zhivago goes back to moscow and finds out that his house has kind of been um commandeered so that other people who can't afford housing live in there and so it's just like they get smaller and smaller space and like all of their stuff keeps on getting robbed from them so they decide to move to um oh what is the the name of the place that they end up yeah that's right and so they board this train and it's like this long and desolating voyage there and they just see all these different horrors along the way and just small towns being just pillaged by the red army and all that so they just see all that's kind of wrong with what is going on in their world right now then they get there and Zhivago finds out that Lara is living in the town next to him and so he kind of keeps on going over there and starts to have an affair with her um and he doesn't really tell his wife about it at all but no um one day whenever he's coming back he gets kidnapped by the red army and they take him on as a doctor and so he's kind of dragged around for like it's like six to eight months or something and then he finally escapes and wanders back and finally it was a matter of years wasn't it like a few years that he was gone i i thought it was only or not only but just like yeah like six months or something okay i thought it was like a pretty long period of time but maybe so yeah, you might be right on that. But so he finally gets back and finds Lara, and Lara tells him that his wife and son have escaped to Paris, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so they're over there. And so that's kind of like he's lost all hope of ever finding them again. So he just kind of submits to his life with Lara and is like, okay, this is, you know, where I'm going to be. And then at one point they get separated, and he thinks that she is dead, I think, or she thinks that he is dead, or one of the two. And then it fast-forwards years and years later, whenever um, Zhivago is walking around the streets of Moscow again, 
and he sees Lara after not having seen her in years and like probably thinking that she's dead and he runs to try to catch her and cry out to her but has a heart attack and dies on the streets and she doesn't notice and then mm-hmm. she dies a bit later and then it cuts back to uh, Zhivago's brother and the young girl there and you know he tells her that Zhivago is his father and you know she kind of disassociates herself from it and like it's like no no that's not me and um and then kind of walks off with her her boyfriend and she uh all throughout the film the only thing that Zhivago carries with him is this balalaika like the stringed instrument and that's kind of like his one remaining thing from childhood and at the end whenever the daughter is walking away with her boyfriend you know she like slips it around her back and all that so you're like oh yep you know she is Jivago's daughter and Mm -hmm. that's how the film ends (laughs) well done thank you (laughs) so if I had to describe this movie into two words I'd say vast yearning because it just is kind of this whole it's epic in the sense that it has all this war going on and like the civil war and just so many like political mandates are going through and just so many philosophical points are being thrown around, but it's really about this man's struggle with love and him being with the woman, one woman he loves, but there's also another woman he loves and how does he balance the two of those and, you know, fights against that. And there's kind of yearning on all ends. Like, you know, um, Lara yearns to be with him, but she also loves Pasha, but kind of the older Pasha. And then Pasha yearns to, take his country to this higher and greater level but then gets like torn away and kind of sucked into it as well and there's just kind of all these things of everyone's wanting and just grasping for air and not truly getting what they want so that's just kind of what came to my head through it (laughs) gotcha um for for me i would describe this movie as epically hollow because Mm -hmm. while i appreciated a lot of things about this movie especially um I loved all of the sets and all of the costumes and the very all the. I think he did really well at um, at creating uh, creating the world they lived in, and uh, but man, for me the the whole driving uh, force of this movie was like the love aspect and the romance, and I thought that was I did not see it at all. I was I was very unconvinced in the love between uh, between Lara and and uh, what's his name Yuri uh, Yuri, so. And I'm probably the outlier here, but I was, man, I was very surprised to hear that so many people uh, were so moved by the by the romance of this movie. So, uh, yeah, so epically hollow, and it's probably going to be different than than what uh, y'all's words are, but <laughs> that was my impression. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that, Billy? I think we could end this interview right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just about to walk away. <laughs> Great, Riley. Look what you've done. Tell there me why I'm wrong. Wow. Uh, two words, I don't know. I, I think painful would be the one word that I would come up with. That It's, it's a very painful uh, movie to watch or book to read. I, I first came in contact with Dr. Shivargo through the book back in 1979 and um, did not expect to fall in love with the book or the story as much as I did so but but it was painful a painful read it wasn't an easy read it was uphill all the way and uh, uh, I remember being uh, in agony over over every chapter almost of the book 
Mm-hmm. And then to see the movie, um, I thought the movie was so well done um, and it was so well aligned with, with the book. But again, a very painful movie to watch. I think if I was forced to come upon a second word, it would be discrepancy. Mm. Because there is this huge discrepancy between the way life should be and the way it is in the movie. You know, the way life should be is he's a successful doctor doing very well, healing people, um, a husband of one wife and a father. But instead of that, um, he has this love interest outside of the marriage. And that's where that very painful discrepancy occurs for me, um, the way it should be and the way it is. And I think uh, as a young man, I, I I was 17 when I read the book for the first time. And with that amount of pain, I I began to think about my own life. What what kind of husband will I be? What kind of father will I be? What kind of professional? In other words, what kind of man will I be? And I determined, um, before even seeing the movie, I determined I want to be the husband of one wife. I want to be faithful. I want to be loyal. I want to be true. Those were characteristics that I chose uh, as a result, really, of reading uh, Dr. Shivago. It was it was that powerful as you know, as a seventeen year old boy. Hmm. That's really interesting because I remember um, whenever I was talking to you about being on a pod, this podcast and you know asking like what film you wanted to do and you suggesting Doctor Zhivago and just saying like you know the char- that because you really learned a lot from the character and all that. I was like basically expecting the exact opposite. Like going throughout it, I was like, okay, well, knowing Billy, he is not going to cheat on his wife and he's going to stay faithful and all that. And so whenever it did, he did, it just like astonished me. I was like, oh my gosh. But then like hearing your explanation like really helped out. I'm like, okay, I, I see it now. Like that's why it wasn't, you know, because of what he did, but it was just kind of like an example yeah. of, you know, the opposite of what you wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as men and women, as professionals, we learn a lot from our successes. No doubt about that. When we achieve, we learn. But I um, probably learn more about failures. Hmm. When I fail, when I slip up, those are very meaningful and powerful learning points in my life. Or when I see the failures of others, then I learn from that and say, that's, that's precisely what I don't want to do. And so at the cost of, of Dr. Shivargo, I learned, uh, I learned a lot from, from that. So this was more of a, it was more of a cautionary tale for you. Than... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, one of the aspects of this film that I was not expecting at all was that throughout it all, he still loves like his wife. And cause it's like, I feel like you don't see that much nowadays, especially in like romantic films, whenever one character leaves, you know, their husband or wife for another character. It's because it's like, oh, well, I don't love him or I don't love her anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm going to this other person. So to have him yeah. be in love with both people was yeah. just like, wow, yeah. that was something yeah. I feel like you don't see too often. Yeah, and, absolutely. Mm. 
and and that's where that painful discrepancy is it's it's this these two women mm. that he could he could say I, I love to each one of them but I think that for me the passion was more for Lara mm. than it was for Tanya I, I I think I'm not suggesting that his relationship with Tanya was in any way incestual mm. but Tanya was brought into his life almost as a, a wee sister yeah mm-hmm. very early on uh, probably you know prior to puberty mm-hmm. and so he grows up with this young girl loving her as a sister and then at some point it's almost expected by the father and the mother of Tanya you will marry him yeah um, not that it was forced upon him but it was it was expected mm. it was almost too perfect you know too right mm. and so no one paused to ask the question well do you love her mm. it just led quite naturally into marriage mm. um, so I think he loved her um, yeah in a very meaningful way but I don't know if it was that kind of love that you would have between a man and a woman that carries with it passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was absent from that that relationship. Yeah, almost like you know, kind of like the older like prearranged marriages, where it's yeah. like you know the two the couple go into each other to yeah. the marriage, like not knowing each other at all, and like you know probably a lot of fighting at the beginning, but then they just kind of like learn to love each other. Yeah, absolutely, from that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that that's definitely you know kind of what it yep. seemed like to me as well. Where yep. it did seem the stuff with Lara was more passionate and more. Yeah, I I, I don't know if uh, if he ever looked at Tanya uh, with through the through the lens of lust. Mm-hmm. I, I I doubt it. Yeah, but definitely with lustful eyes mm-hmm. after after uh, Lara. Mm-hmm. Riley, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, there was a moment in the Christmas party where uh, Tanya sees Laura and she says, um, Yuri, the most, I just, like, there's the most fascinating girl at this party. And then Yuri says, I know, I'm dancing with her. And he's talking about Tanya. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I feel like there was a lot of good examples of why their, why their marriage was so good. Or like, I saw that he loved her, at least in the way they interacted with each other. Well, that, that that's, it's proper. Mm-hmm. It maybe was out of duty, mm. out of expectation. Right. But the fact that Tanya picked up on this interesting woman, this other woman at that party, I think is very telling that she knew all the way along this woman. I think she knew well before Shivargo knew that there's something there. Hmm. Yeah. But what did she? How did she see it though? I mean, that's what confuses me. Is like Chemistry. that was the first time she had ever seen her, right? The mystery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, she does have a very mysterious air oh, about her, and Julie Christie yep. is just beautiful as well. Absolutely. Like she is drop dead gorgeous, especially yep. in this film. Like towards the beginning, you know, she just looks like this porcelain doll. You mm-hmm. know, like just the way mm-hmm. that she's dressed up Perfect. and exactly, and mm-hmm. like her hair is always done up, the makeup mm-hmm. is always like on point, and then. As it goes along, you know, you see kind of more of like the wear and tear on her is like years of war and Mm -hmm. all of the stuff with Pasha and her daughter and all of that comes into play. She kind of gets more and more weathered, but it's like 
Zhivago still sees her as like how um, Tanya saw her that night. Yeah, I mean, it, she becomes more and more endearing mm. as the movie goes along because she's been abused. Mm. Um, she's been hurt. Right. She's been abandoned. And yet she continues to fight her way through co- college and becomes a nurse. She continues during the war days to serve, not just uh, through her medical skills, but she's ironing, she's washing, uh, she's taking care of people. So in the midst of this tragedy, she rises to the top Mm. as a wonderful human being. Yeah. And still does not want to send Zhivargo back to Tanya without a clear conscience. Mm. Yeah. She's even concerned there. Don't do anything that you can you can't uh, take back to right. Tanya. Yeah, so it's that's admirable. It's so fascinating. I mean, I feel like so much of this story as well, and this is probably why the book was banned in Russia for so mm-hmm. long, is because there's so many points on here of like, it's all just a critique of Russia at mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. you know, of just like, you know, the communist society of showing like how it doesn't work and like how the awful aspects of it and. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're just wanting to sweep that under the rug. And I think the whole struggle between um, Lara and Tanya is like a representation of this, of how there's kind of like this almost um, bridling of passion in mm-hmm. Russia, how they're like, no, 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 like keep down, you know, we're not supposed to be like very emotional and all that, you know, like don't marry because of love, marry because, you know, you're told to marry this person. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of like a strikeout against that and it's showing, you know, there, people are feeling these emotions even whenever they are in like very happy marriages and all of that and there's like danger to just like putting everything in a line and putting every person in a box and saying this is what you have to do and you know mm-hmm. or like even the aspect of like how Zhivago is a poet but you know people are like oh but being a doctor is much more useful but then he's like remembered for like his poetry yeah. and all of that and for showing beauty instead of you know just kind of the stark medical work that he does as well. And I think it's a very fascinating social commentary of the time, and you can just really see the state of Russia throughout it. Yeah, and I, I don't know if Russia has changed that much. Mm. It's still very utilitarian. The loyalty is first and foremost to the state. Mm. Um, mm. In fact, there's a powerful line in the movie um, Love is or romance is dead in Russia. Yeah, and and and, that, and that's so true. But I, I, I think he married Tanya, perhaps out of not convenience, but it was it was proper. It was the right thing to do. And yet, and yet, this this poetic side of him, this creative side of him, uh, is only emptied as a result of. Lara coming into his life, loving his poetry, encouraging him to write his poems. And then he titles his, 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 his book of poetry, Lara. You know, right. it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a wonderful testimony. It touches on this theme uh, that I, I love of kind of like the balance and struggle between purpose and emotion where mm. 
Pasha is very purpose-driven of saying like, yes, we need to strike up a revolution and change Russia for the people. And that is the only thing that matters. Mm -hmm. And Zhivago mm -hmm. is much more of the romantic of like, all right, I'm going to be a poet and I can save people with my words and show them the beauty of things. And like the Russian government saying like, no, that's not useful. Like, you know, mm -hmm. building stuff is useful. And it's just very much like the sort of struggle of like emotion versus like... Mm -hmm tactful labor or like just things like okay you know nothing else is important uh except for you know striking up this revolution and mm -hmm. all that and it's mm -hmm. like but like what's the point you know if this mm -hmm. is for the people then what's the point if like the people can't you know live and thrive right. and right blend in emotion and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all of that as well and that, i think that's just such a fascinating theme and something that we constantly struggle with of like okay well what's more important you know this important, like this job that I'm doing where, you know, I'm like saving lives or just like, you know, the emotional aspect of life and love and beauty and all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You guys are saying a lot of good things about like uh, passion and emotion, but I just didn't see anything on screen between Yuri and Lara. Like, mm. I just didn't see that chemistry. And I feel like they didn't flesh that out very well. I I only remember that like the first time they were interacting with each other was kind of on the battlefield, you know, as a as a surgeon and as a you know as a nurse uh, tech, and that's kind of all I saw. I just didn't I didn't feel like they were uh, I didn't feel like I didn't see the emotional connection, and so um, I feel like that is where they kind of. Or at least for me, it wasn't convincing. I just didn't. I didn't see the passion. Uh, I just feel like they made me. They forced me to to think. Okay, well, they were on. They've been serving together in war for however long, six months. Just assume that they fell in love. Like I wasn't convinced of that <laughs> just by what yeah. I saw on screen. And so that's if you guys can help me understand that more, that would be yeah. helpful. But I just didn't. I just didn't see it, and so it made me like whenever. They finally succumb, you know, to their passion and and uh, uh, you know sleep together that first time. I was just so baffled because <laughs> I didn't I didn't see the passion between them. I was like, what he has with Tanya was so good, and I understand that there's a lot maybe that going on in the book or and there's a lot of potential there, but I just didn't feel like it was communicated as well mm -hmm. as it could have been. Hmm. Any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think. Um, movies today that involve romance I think are much more geared towards scenes of sexual combat if you will physical scenes hot steam scenes you know really steamy scenes that maybe maybe lead people to believe well that's really a passionate relationship mm -hmm. uh, simply because of of the physical acts of lovemaking but this this is absent of that mm -hmm. uh, you may see them in bed but you, you don't see anything else um, I think it's it's all left up then to the emotions so I, I, I contrary to your feelings there I, I feel that there's a very strong emotional connection what, what, what what's absent is is, is, is the the physical the lovemaking uh, in the movie that you see in modern day movies more often. 
I look at his relationship with Tonya, um, and, and, and you commented that you felt that was perfect. I, I, I would agree with you. It was perfectly empty. It was, it was a glass that didn't have anything in it. Mm. Um, it, it but it was perfect. It was meant to be. It, it, it's what people expected. He expected that of himself as well. It was a way of maybe saying thank you to the, to the mom and dad who raised him, took him in. Maybe it was a way of saying thank you to Tanya. It was a way of following through with what was right, what was appropriate. But Lara, on the other hand, I, I think is a glass that is quite full. There's, there's in, incredible um, emotional tension uh, from the very beginning. If you remember, the Chivago's running after the tram at the beginning of the movie, and he finally catches up to it and sits right behind uh, Lara. Mm. At the end of the movie, the very last scene, he is once again running after a tram. Lara is in the tram, but he never catches it. He dies of a heart attack before even getting to it. Mm. I think that's just one example of, of many in this movie where you see, where you feel as a man, your heart is just pounding. It's tugging because you're placing yourself in it and you want to just confess your love to her. You want to say it, you want to scream it, but you can't because it's not appropriate. Mm. It's not right. Yeah. But, as a, but as a young boy of 17, I felt it. I really felt it, you mm. know, and, and so it was really important to me that when I marry um, a woman, I want to be able to declare my passion, my joy, my commitment, my loyalty, my trust. I don't want to ever be in a situation where uh, my heart pangs for somebody else. Yeah. I would definitely tack on to what you're saying about um, maybe, Riley, one of the reasons why it didn't connect with you as much. And uh, this is like nothing against you, but just like even the films that were raised on like nowadays or like so much of it is in the dialogue. It's like, okay, I know those two characters don't love each other unless if they say I love you. And it's like, oh, I love you so much. I love you so much. I, I would yeah. do this for you. I do this yeah. for you. And so much of it is based in the dialogue, but you like rarely ever see it in the action. And I think one thing that... David Lean is great at is like defining characters and defining motives in action. He has this other film earlier, uh, like one of his earlier films called Brief Encounter. It's this amazing film about, very similar to this, it takes place in London and it's about this woman who takes this train into town every day and bumps into this, um, I think he's a surgeon or something there. And she's like happily married with like some kids and you know, she kind of starts to fall in love with it and with this other guy. And throughout it, it's just kind of this thing of, you know, you seeing her go back and forth and like waiting for long nights on this train station with this other guy. And they never say like, I love you or anything, but it's just like most of it is like in the stares that they give each other, like these glances that they have. And it's like, oh, you see the yearning in their eyes for each other. They like never say it, but you can just feel it. And I feel that's very much of what it is in this, you yeah. see so much in Omar Sharif's eyes. Like, there's actually this quote that I want to read <laughs> from this uh, book I'm reading called "David Lean: An Intimate Portrait." I'll put a link to it in like the show notes or 
something like that. Um, but it's basically just kind of him talking about dialogue and its kind of limitations and all of that sort of stuff. David himself said, used too often to explain emotion, dialogue belittles emotion. Nothing is left to an audience's imagination. It's all said for you and it can border on sentimentality if you're not careful. And I think that's really what he hits on a lot in this film is just so much of the relationship is not in saying I love you, but so much of it is in like the actions, like the stares, like the glances and all of that. And that's like how he defines love. And that's, Hmm. I feel like how it is for like in all of the movies of his that I see. It's just like these characters tell so much with their eyes. Yeah, I think, um, you know, just to add to that, I think sometimes desire, passion, true love, loyalty, faithfulness is often best communicated outside of a physical relationship. I mean, I, I know from my own experience now as a married man that distance Proximity, of course, but distance, silence. But the glance of an eye across a room to my lover communicates volumes, volumes um, of desire, love, passion, Hmm. without even the utterance of one word. Right, right. And I feel like um, Sharif's character of Zhivago reminds me a lot of his character in Lawrence of Arabia as well, where he doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't say a whole lot, but just like his facial expressions, his eyes just like tell his whole character yeah. and his actions yeah. are what define him, yeah. which is very much true to yeah. human beings in general. Like we can so often have hollow, empty words, but it's what we do and how we act yeah. is what we truly mean and feel. Yeah. So I don't know if that helps you out, Riley, at all. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> well, watch it, okay. watch it again, and watch it all in one sitting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll probably. Uh, I don't know if I'll watch it again, but I might give it another shot uh, a few years from now, maybe. Since we've talked a lot about the romantic aspects, I'd love to talk about just like the whole scope and kind of like hitting our on our topic of you know this being an epic and what qualifies it as an epic, what differentiates it from uh, modern films like. Billy, I know you and I have had plenty of discussions mm-hmm. on the quality of more classic and older films compared mm-hmm. to more modern day films. And so if you want to give us your like variation on like why you say this is such a grand film compared yeah. to what is being made nowadays. Well, for me personally, I think uh, a characteristic of an epic movie, one is it's based on a book. Hmm. I love movies that the whole story originates from a writer's mind. It's been published, and not just that, but a very successful book, you know. And this novel was, uh, in its day, very controversial because it, it, it was written in Russia during the revolution, uh, in Russian and 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 yet was banned. It was never supposed to be released, and yet it it finds its way out of Russia to Italy, where it's first published in Italian. That's that's a remarkable journey, 
of a book, of a novel. It's, it's, it's then uh, published in English, I, I believe, paid for by the CIA. Right, yeah. Um, that, that, that just adds even more mystique uh, to, to the whole story. You know, because I, I think they really wanted to expose uh, Russia and what was happening in Russia during that time of the revolution. So I, 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 I like that it, it comes from a book. I, I think it also has stood the test of time. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it has a worldwide audience. It has a worldwide following. It's been remade, um, I don't know, in the last decade. Mm. Or so. Right, yeah, with like was it Kira Knightley, yeah. Sam Neill, yeah. all yeah. that miniseries, yeah. I think. Right. Yeah. Uh so I think that gives a wee bit of credence to it as well. Um it won I think it was nominated for ten Academy Awards mm-hmm. and won five, but it was up against, you know, Sound substantial competition, the sound of music. I think they walked away with five each. Uh, right. They did. So I mean I, I, I think it really has uh, stood the test of time. It's demonstrated that it is a movie that is of epic proportions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and so much of that I feel like just plays into David Lean's filmmaking process. Yeah. Whereas I feel like this movie could be really slow, really dull, and just kind of like lots of empty gaps and all that if not handled properly. But I feel like he handles it wonderfully, and I was just. I was completely engrossed in it the whole time. And I mm-hmm. think he's, he just has this masterful way of telling long and dense stories. And uh, I'm going to read this like quote uh, from the screenwriter. He has a couple like David Lean gave him the book. And then so he wrote in all these notes in the cover of it. So I'm going to I'm going to read some mm-hmm. of it. So one of his points in it, if uh, like how this movie needs to be directed, he says, cutting ought to be very bold. Not just striking, but really authoritative. Not explaining itself, but having the logic of our truth-telling. Pasternak himself does this, the author of the book. Mm-hmm. Again, it means we must know the truth we are telling, not know, but sense. This brings me back to point one, which I am more and more sure of. We have to start with a really simple time shape. I mean narrative. And then select our incidents to embody it. Not as in Lawrence, select incidents and by ingenuity compel them to follow a narrative shape of line if david will wear it i'd like to use a deliberately clumsy primitive or naive not ingenious sort of cutting the sort of cutting which is the film equivalent of the once upon a time and five years past if we want to tell the audience that it's 1905 i'd like to put the figure on the screen and proceed with our story not neatly detail the information into the dialogue not bring the audience along but offer them the story to consider. Mm-hmm. And he also says, to conclude as a story, it's second rate. It's melodramatic, mm-hmm. full of coincidences, pointless. Mm-hmm. But in the manner of the telling, the odd incidents, it is superb. The manner and the incidents, these are what must make the film good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. what Lean captures yeah. brilliantly throughout yeah. it. It's just these incidents that really stick with you. And there's some of the most like striking visual images mm-hmm. that I've ever seen in a film or in this movie, like all of the scenes on like the front lines, you know, oh, absolutely, the yeah. Siberian front yep. are just horrifying yep. and just devastating and striking. And I, I really feel like no one can film empty space like David Lean does where mm-hmm. he really just makes it either so hollow or so grand or intimidating, but he just really, 
he really has a good grasp on what the frame of the camera can do and mm -hmm. what all it can accomplish. And he's really just a, a beautiful visual poet in yeah. all of the ways that he constructs things, like just the way he builds up a frame tells a story in and of itself, which mm -hmm. is something I feel lacks a lot in modern filmmaking where they don't focus as much on like yeah. the staging and yeah. how props are placed and, you know, the lighting and everything like that. Like we just yeah. kind of have our own flashier, bigger way of doing things yeah. in that sense. I loved all the scenes in the snow. I mm -hmm. thought he did really good at, at just capturing the, like the, especially the ice palace. I thought was yes. so yeah. beautiful. Uh, just it, everything looked meticulously crafted. I don't know, just the way the icicles were coming down from the ceiling and just it yeah. looked so beautiful. Love that. Mm. Is it fair to ask if you have read the book? I have not read the book. Okay. So I have read many, many books. I think the quality of a great book often is I couldn't put it down. I hear people say that all the t time. I couldn't put the book down. I just... Mm for me one of the qualities of a great book is i had to put it down hmm. i had to stop it was too much it was too intense dr shivargo was the very first book all along the journey of reading it i i had to stop at points i couldn't hmm. take it anymore it's hmm. too painful it's too hollow <laughs> um and so when it when it came to see seeing the movie which by the way I saw the movie uh, in Korea, in Korean with English subtitles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Since then, I've watched the movie over and over again. And, and, and it's, it's the same as the book. There are moments there when I just have to pause it. And, and I need time to process this, to digest this. This is too much, you know, um, and I suppose we're all different emotionally and mentally. Uh, what what grabs me deeply may not be the same as what grabs you, Connor. But mm -hmm. but this movie has has lots of moments for me that I have to pause uh, and say, "This is a movie. Yeah, you know, <laughs> this is not happening to me personally. <laughs> this is not real." Right. What's your uh, top moment? What's your top? I have to put the book down. Moment. Yeah, so so the very first moment was uh, when Yuri is looking out the window. It's bitter cold. They've just buried his mother mm. in this very cold, cold, bitter Siberian winter, and uh, he's 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 going to bed in a very cold room, um, candlelight. But 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 he he gets up and looks out the window into the horizon where. They buried his mother, and she is, you know, she's she's six foot under, bone cold, gone, finished, uh, and that's that's a, that's a that's the first big stick that is planted, that his life is changed forever. Yeah. Do you know that who was that was his son in that scene? Omar Sharif. Oh, son. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. I did not know the, that. Young I, version of him. Wow, wow. Well, I, I mean, uh, just his eyes there—the mm -hmm. glossy eyes, the longing for mommy, mm -hmm. but she's never going to come. Mm -hmm. She's never going to be there. Is is very powerful. Yeah, and just that shot whenever even they're at the funeral, yeah. and he just like looks up and you see the leaves like flying away, and it's almost like yeah. his innocence or youth is just like 
gone yeah. with the wind. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. done. You know, he, he right. kind of has to accept life and the harshness of yeah. it right then and there. And uh, what's tragic is that he, 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 he loses every woman he loves. Mm. He loses his mother. He loses Tonya. He loses Lara. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and even his daughter. Yeah. Yeah, his hollowness just at the end of the film yep. is devastating. Yep. Whenever he just collapses on the yeah. ground, it's yeah, just like my heart was just breaking right. for him. I'm like, he right. has nothing. Yep. Couldn't even call out to the woman he loves right. like right when he's about to die. And this is where I don't want to find myself mm. ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a very hard movie just in this, like kind of in a different sense than I think, you know, most of us think of like a hard film to watch where it's like very yeah. brutal violence and all that, mm -hmm. but it's just, it's almost like brutal emotionality in yeah. it. Uh, and I think I, I love, like I was saying before, I was just engrossed in this film and I've talked with so many people who are like, oh, movies back then just don't hold up nowadays. Like people our age, <laughs> like just can't get into them and all that. And I was actually watching it with my younger brother, Caden, who um, helped make our theme song and all that. And so he's 18 and we, you know, we just kept on watching. I'm like, hey, watch this with me. He had no idea what it was going into it. And about like, I don't know, it was probably like two and a half hours into it. I was like, okay, I have to run to the restroom like really badly. So, and I paused and he's like, oh my gosh, that was two and a half hours. Like I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, and he was absolutely. just like so pulled into it. Yeah. And so this is just like, I feel like a perfect testament of yeah. like, yes, these movies hold up. Yes, they are engaging. Yeah. Sure, it's different than what we have nowadays, but it is yeah. beautiful and wonderful and Mm -hmm. something we don't really get anymore right absolutely i loved the uh kind of shift gears i love the title sequence yeah the, I thought the uh the art was really cool uh that, mm -hmm. that style i was really impressed by that it was just i just remember starting that movie and i'm just like this is so beautiful i just especially on my huge tv i was just taking it all <laughs> it was yeah, gorgeous gotta brag about his tv that. again oh right man <laughs> that's one thing that's really one thing that's really changed in movies is title sequences in the beginning where they show mm -hmm. tons of credits and like hardly anything's going on or i mean in this movie it's just the you know just title cards but and then you kind of transition to like you'll see some names on the screen as some minor things are happening but like nowadays it's completely gone you know like any credits are just going to be at the end and so you know action starts almost immediately nowadays right or but, it's just like establishing yeah. shots of a city or something like yeah. that like something pointless that we don't need right. uh mm -hmm. i remember a couple months ago going whenever they re-released 2001 back into theaters and imax again i went and saw it up in kansas city which was like also maybe the most amazing film experience of my entire life seeing that film in imax it's just one of my mm -hmm. favorites but you know so they played the whole overture at the beginning as people were walking in and halfway through you know mm -hmm. there's the intermission and everyone's like is, what do I do? is it just yeah. gonna cut? Yeah. and it was like a good like eight or nine minutes long so i was like like after a minute of it, i'm like okay it's the actual intermission got up you know went and got a drink and mm -hmm. like a snack or something then yeah. came back to the seat and then like nice. went and saw it again the next day yeah. um and, and IMAX again and like I was like okay I know the intermission's about to come up and so like as soon as it does like I just get up immediately and then like people are like what is he doing what is he doing and then like I come back and like oh it is the intermission yeah yeah yep yeah. <laughs> like I think some... that's another characteristic of a epic mm -hmm. yeah that's true a movie so long that you need a break in the middle absolutely <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah because like some DVDs that movies 
that have intermission it's like it's not an actual intermission it's just a maybe a few seconds where it says intermission and then it starts right. again you know yep. it's uh like it's, Lord of the a, it's yep. a fake intermission yeah but it's nice to actually have that time to uh, walk around you know yeah stretch mm-hmm. a little bit yep and then, uh, use the restroom if you need yeah, to use the get some more popcorn and <laughs> yeah. soda yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely time to process what you're seeing it's like the- it's very much like theater in the sense of you know yeah. like you have to have the intermission in the middle so you can get yep. up and stretch your legs yep. and talk about what's happened mm-hmm. so far and like mm-hmm. like okay now we're going in for the rest mm-hmm. of it we're going to finish this out round two exactly and i think that's something that really helps out longer films as well especially for like riley kind of our generation of you know just more used to shorter and shorter movies or just yeah. quicker paced things so like having yeah. a little break in the middle of like a three and a half hour movie is very nice. So just being mm-hmm. able to be like, okay, no, we can pause for a little bit and mm-hmm. collect ourselves and then get ready for the rest of it mm-hmm. as well. And I don't think it'll ever come back though. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. Unless if Nolan brings it back, come on, Christopher Nolan, you can do it. What makes you think Nolan would bring it back? I don't know. He makes like epic movies as well, like longer films or maybe not him, maybe Scorsese or I don't I just know. can't even imagine how that would go down because I don't know. It just feels like such an old thing, and it's like people how would they flip out, reincorporate it. Yeah, but that would be just... like the talk. That'd be a good like um, promotional thing of like people being like, "There was an intermission in that." Like what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we'll I feel like that. that would blow up, and people would like go in and see it. Just be like, "Ooh, we can watch a movie mm-hmm. with an intermission mm-hmm. in it." And <laughs> yeah. All that. It's just such a novelty nowadays, which like I kind of grew up with that a little bit more because uh, back whenever, where I lived in California, we had this theater that we'd always go to in the summer because on like Tuesdays and Thursdays in the morning, they would show classic films. So my mom would always take us to go and see that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there'd be like older classic films. So there'd be intermissions. So I was used to, you know, just going out and taking a little break Mm -hmm. and all that and coming back. The only intermission I ever saw was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah, so we had that on VHS, and that one had an intermission. But that was the only movie I was ever exposed to that had one growing up. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Yeah. Oh, one of my favorite aspects of this film too is just you know the almost the harshness of it. You just feel it in every way, and especially the whole the train sequence is probably my favorite sequence mm-hmm. of the entire film. Mm-hmm. It is just brutal, but yeah. you also see like these people just growing together and kind of like the hope they have for this new life that they'll get to and. I mean, it's just, like, startling as well. Like, you know, all of the scenes whenever they're, like, scraping out the hay with all of their waste in it. And, like, the woman running after the train and, like, putting, like, the dead baby on it and all of that. And it's just, like, just harrowing, you know, Mm -hmm. what they had to go through at this Mm -hmm. point in time. And then, like, these, like, everyone is just so focused on, like, staying warm, moving on and all that. And, like, Yuri is the only one who, like, opens up the little slot and, like, looks out at the beautiful landscape and all that. Which, did you know they filmed most of this in, like, Spain? Yeah. Yeah, and, like, Finland and all of that, which it's like, fascinating. And, like, my brother was like, oh, yeah, that does look like Spain. I'm like, okay, well, I I would never have thought that. (laughs) But what's amazing to me is a lot of, like, the battle scenes, that was also filmed, like, in the middle of summer. Mm -hmm. So for... Yeah, one of like snow. Mm-hmm, one of the like cavalry charges that they do, they took the entire contents of a marble quarry and ground it down into a powder and put it yeah. all along the ground. And you know, just that's what they did for like most of those shots. It's just like the scope of that is crazy. Like, first off, how does he get all those extras? That is nuts. Like, he is great at finding extras for like Lawrence of Arabia and mm-hmm. 
bridge on the River Kwai and all of that. I mean, I, I didn't doubt it for a second. I felt like freezing cold whenever I saw those yeah, scenes. I know. I know. <laughs> I, am, I was like um, wrapped in like three blankets. <laughs> I, I think this movie is best suited in the late autumnal season or winter. This mm-hmm. is not a summertime movie. This is a winter movie. Dark nights, cold, damp, windy. And and you feel it. Mm. You know, you feel cold. Yeah. 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 There are very few movies that, that I watch now where I'm like, oh, I feel cold. Yeah. But one of them is The Revenant. Like, I remember oh, going right. and yeah. seeing yeah. that in theaters. And, like, I had my big, like, woolly jacket on. And I was just, like, tucking into that. I was <laughs> just like, yeah. oh, I'm, like, freezing cold right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's crazy how movies can do that. Because, like, I was, like, in an 80-degree room. And I felt, mm-hmm. like, freezing cold. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, Riley. Do you feel cold watching this? Uh, I mean, I don't really remember if I felt Riley, cold. You didn't I've, feel I've definitely felt that on other movies. <laughs> yeah, what would you say? Um, you, you've made an enemy of Billy now. I don't think you felt anything. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you, we should have do done have, a different movie together. Do you have a heart? Um, <laughs> it's frozen. It's frozen going solid. back to that that scene in the cattle car, mm. the train, the caboose. Just when you've given up all hope for humanity, here is where you see it. You know, they're, 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 they're all stuffed, shoved in there together, but they're trying to keep each other warm. Mm-hmm. And then the, the effort towards cleanliness, you know, opening the door and shoveling out the, and uh, disinfecting the, the car you have humanity there working together, coming together. At one part, you have music and dancing. And it's sort of, uh, I think David Lean realizes at that point, we need something to warm us back up. Mm-hmm. We need something to warm us back up. And he uses that particular scene to do that. Um, and I remember being relieved there, thinking, oh, whew, people are still good, you know. People can still come together. People can still have a heart and look out for each other. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think he's really good about that. And mm-hmm. one thing that he talks a lot about in the biography, just like from the quotes yep. um, that they given, is just like he focuses so much on these flawed main yeah. characters. And like yeah. each of the char- main characters is like a little piece of him. Like he yeah. relates to them yeah. in, you know, very different ways. But that's one thing he's always sure to have. It's just like yeah. flawed characters. He never wants like the perfect like superhero or knight no. or like who's yeah. always gallant and just yeah. and like has no faults. He wants the people yeah. who are broken down, who have these great weaknesses. Because yeah. that's yeah. what makes them interesting and what we connect with. It's hard to connect with, you know, just like a perfect person all the time. It, yeah. it does work really well for some things. But, you know, when you're tackling a story as big as this, you, you know, you can't have yeah. a perfect main character. So the two women in the movie, I, 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 I just came up with, I think it was Sophia Loren mm. who was first cast to play the role of Lara. Right. Um, and I, I think that would have been the wrong choice. I, I'm really glad that David Lean went with... Um, mm. Julie Christie. Yeah, because she, she is blonde. She looks fragile. She looks pure and innocent. And I think that's such a big contrast between her and Tonya, who has darker features. Mm. Um, that's true. I, yeah. I, 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 I liked I liked 
the people that he, that he did cast for this movie. Even Omar Sharif just, just I think, well suited for this part. Yeah, definitely. You know, he's very believable. I feel bad for him because, I don't know, Riley, if you read up on this of like what they had to do of, you know, just like how they like taped his eyes back, yeah. you know, yeah. every single day that. and, you know, yeah, just like put all this makeup on him and all that. And I mean, it's just like, and just like hearing like how miserable he was. Yeah. And I mean, he was like miserable on Lawrence of Arabia as well, because they're filming on the middle of the desert and they just like have all these baggy clothes on. They're forced to ride like camels for hours on end and, you know, just suffer out in the heat. And you know, it's just like astonishing how many people, you know, still worked with him after that. And mm-hmm. like he always kind of had this love-hate relationship with Alec Guinness where like, you know, he kind of brought Alec Guinness into stardom with uh, great expectations in his portrayal of um, Fagin. But Lean always just pushed him so hard mm-hmm. and they would just like, you know, he'd just be like, you're not doing good enough, you know, and mm-hmm. all that. And so there was always kind of this animosity between the two of them, but yet he could still always get like Guinness's best performances out of yeah. him as well. It's it's just fascinating. Like reading this, it's just like, oh, David Lean's a jerk. Like I I feel like I would have hated to work with him. Yeah, yeah just my impressions like, of him aren't that great as far like no. on a personal level, you know. He just always pushes people. He's not a very empathetic person, but like just the lengths that he goes to for his craft is astonishing. And it kind of makes me wonder too of like great directors of how far do you need to go because I feel like so many great and classic and like the best of directors are known for just being like brutal mm-hmm. and punishing yeah. like Kubrick yeah. of course is an example yeah. that I always think of you know just like how every single one of his movies are so monotonous or um, like he's so um, meticulous meticulous that's the word I was looking mm-hmm. for in all of his films mm-hmm. and just demanding of mm-hmm. every single actor in there and I feel that's very much how David Lean is and I really admire him, though, for the amount of dedication he has for his films. But even with that, it's pretty crazy to realize how how much directors, even directors who are known to be like the best, are still affected by other people. Because whenever he released his film Ryan's Daughter, which came out after this, he, there was this review written about him in The New Yorker, where I have the review right here. It says... As a director, he's a super, super technician, and probably he doesn't ha- really have anything he wants to do in movies except command the technology. He probably enjoys working his characteristic gentleman technician's tastefully colossal style. For years during the making of a lean film, publicity people send out photographs of the handsome director standing in the cities he has built. And then the movies arrive, and he never seems to have figured out what to do in these sets. Will the public buy twinkling orgasms and cosmetic craftsmanship? And because of that, like, review and, like, because Ryan Stoddard bombed, he didn't make a movie for 14 years. Wow. Which is just crazy. Like, one of the directors who is now acclaimed to be one of the greatest directors of all time because of a critic's review didn't make a movie for 14 years. That, to me, is just astonishing. Yeah. yeah. How much impact we really do have. And it makes me mad, because I'm like, mm-hmm. how does she have the gall to say something like that and to derive us of, like, 14 years of, like, oh, wonderful movies yeah, that could yeah, have been made yeah. that, who knows, maybe, like, the greatest film of all time would have been made. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would blame the critic. I would I would blame David Lean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe part of <laughs> it not is, making like, the movie. is that as well. But, like, there is always that struggle between critic and filmmaker of, like, yes, one is actually doing it and the other one is just kind of 
ripping it apart or sort of and i think yeah. they like touch on that really well in like ratatouille you know of yeah mm-hmm. you know um anton ego's character yeah. and that it's of great. the critic and you know even just like his whole last soliloquy that he has in the film really gathers that together but and maybe it is part of it is just the sensitivity of some directors and all that but i think this might be i don't know riley the only time i agree with you um that a director needs to have more fortitude Mm -hmm. he needs Mm -hmm. to be open to constructive criticism right um be more formidable if you will yeah it makes me think of the movie whiplash a little bit have you seen whiplash yes yeah just trying to figure out you know what is the line between too far and uh and uh, not enough you know if you're not pushing someone hard enough they're not going to achieve greatness um well i i i appreciate a director who you know strives for excellence in every aspect of a movie mm-hmm. and david lean certainly raised the bar when it came to expecting excellence uh of himself but everyone involved in the movie and you know excellence doesn't require perfection i think david lee would agree that there are imperfections in this movie but they fit i i would combat that a little bit just because and i think this kind of harkens back to our shape of water conversation of how you know guillermo del toro said if the shape of water was really poorly received and just bombed and all that that he didn't think he would ever make a movie again because so much of like a filmmaker goes into the film that they make and like yeah. Even with like my senior film that I made, it was a very personal thing and it just focused on all these different aspects of myself while putting that into a story, but uh, yes, I am able to distance myself and I even just like recently had a friend who I was like talking to and I was like, "Just tell me what you thought of it." Like he's he's a film guy as well. I'm like, "Just tell me, like please be honest with me." And he's like, "I didn't like it." I'm like, "Okay. You know. All right." And he like just kind of walked it through and it was like, "Yeah, you know, I mean it kind of it hurt. Of course, it hurts a little bit to hear something that so much of yourself has been put into get flack and all that. But it's like it is good to hear the criticism of that. But I, I wonder if part of um, what kind of like took him down for that was just like the shallowness of that critique or something, and like how people yeah. follow that. Yeah, I think you know you said he didn't like it, but it, it probably also made you feel like he didn't like you because you identify so closely yeah. with your work. Definitely, like if, if someone is criticizing your work, they just they take it 100% personal because they identify that closely with their work. And I think that's, I wouldn't say that's a fault, but I think that's definitely just the way it is, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, separating the artist from the work. It's like, this is what he's creating. I think it's, it's okay to criticize and pick apart the creation as opposed to, um, you know, picking apart the person who made it. Right. And Lean just put so much of himself, like film mm-hmm. was the ultimate thing in his life. That was that was number one, you know, nothing else mattered as much as film. Like he mm-hmm. would just devote so much of himself to it. And so I think that may be why he did not make another film for 14 years was because he just felt so personally attacked by it. And he's like, okay, if these people hate these movies, then they hate me. Then what purpose do I have in making movies? Because it really was like, there was just no other comparison in his life, like, you know, if his like wife got in the way of one of his movies, then he divorce her and then marry someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just how he was. It's crazy how different some directors are. You know, because there are directors probably like Lean that are so 
you know, attached to their project. But then there are some where it's more of like, okay, this is a business, right? I'm, I'm in the movie industry. I'm creating a product. Some products may not be as well received as others. That's okay. I'll make another one that hopefully will be received well. You know, some directors have that mindset and others don't. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's kind of crazy how, how some directors have those different mindsets. Yeah. One other aspect of the film that I want to talk about is just like the score. And I'd be interested to get both of your opinions on this, but I feel like uh, the balalaika really plays into it as well because like it's not really what I expected the score to be like. Like I thought it was going to be much more bigger and melodramatic and all of that. And yet it's so sentimental and actually reminds me a lot of like the score of The Godfather of just um, using these musical themes to audibly tell the audience you know this is what's going on like i felt like the balalaika was the audible representation of the youth and innocence that yuri still hung on to mm-hmm. and it's kind of like his balalaika was like the rosebud of the film is what i felt like it was just like that was always the one thing from his childhood that reminded him mm-hmm. of like his purity of yep. his innocence and i feel like that was such a powerful aspect of it but it did kind of throw me through a loop whenever that appeared in musical form Mm. you know it almost reminded me of the wind rises music just a little bit i knew you were going to say that (laughs) (laughs) because although i'm not sure what instrument was being used in the wind rises soundtrack but it did kind of sound similar to the balalaika but yeah there were some definitely some similarities there uh to be honest the I, i did like the music but the balalaika was the most memorable part for me um, and like I can't really think of anything else notable about the soundtrack, but it, I mean I enjoyed it. The tune, the Chivago tune. You know, once you get it in your head, it's hard to get it out. You watch that movie, you're you're still humming it or whistling it hours, days afterwards. I, I think that's uh, test of a good soundtrack or a good score. I loved the music. I love the balalaika. I think it was the grounding the earth wire if you will Hmm. Um, I just recently came to realize that the quality of the music is not what I would like it to be Mm. like the fidelity of it yep yep. Uh, in fact it began to drive me nuts this last time (laughs) around I was like oh my goodness how did I not recognize or, or, or see this before the music in and of itself is powerful. You know, it's, it's it's really great. But that is, yeah, that's you need you need Dolby something or other to help it out. Yeah, the I think picture quality kind of fares better with age. Yeah. Versus sound quality. Yeah. Uh, and that was actually a comment I made. I think in one of our earlier episodes. I think it was the silent movie the we sunlight. did. Because uh, yeah. I commented, it was just like, I can't believe how bad and how good it sounds at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It, it, like, it was like such a full orchestra, and I'm like, I'm hearing all these beautiful melodies, but it sounds yeah. like trash. <laughs> it does sound like trash, and it's 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 up against the sound of music. Yeah, yeah, it's like exactly. That's another reason. Ironic, yeah, that so. it wasn't well remembered. Maybe there's also actually this funny story on set mm. uh, that <laughs> there's the scene that they were doing. I think it was whenever they were filming the Ice Palace, and they had like all these roosters crowing off in the farmyard and oh. like Aline was just getting so annoyed because they wouldn't shut up. And he's like, yeah. we need to get rid of these things. And so he brings like, I think it was like one of his ADs or assistant directors or something. And he brings like one of them over and is like, 
hey, get rid of these roosters and these chickens, but I don't want them harmed. Like, oh. don't harm them whatsoever. So just get them out of here. And then, like, sure enough, like 15 minutes later, silence. The next day, <laughs> David Lean asked the AD, he's like, so what did you end up doing with those chickens and those roosters? And he's like, well, remember the chicken dinner we had last night? And oh. he's like, might as well kill two birds with one stone. One stone, yeah. So they well, saved the chickens. And he was <laughs> yeah. fine with that? He wasn't mad? I think, I think he was, like, kind of upset after that. But it's just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, funny. you know, it's that's, that's definitely something that goes yeah. on there. <laughs> and it's also interesting because Nicholas Rogue was going to be the DP or director of photography on this, which he was actually like a really famous Australian director who did like walkabout. For those sorts of things where it's like, oh, this person almost did this on this job or this, they did mm-hmm. this. Like that is, to me is always just fascinating of like, okay, yeah. well, how much of a difference would that have made? Like, would it still yeah. look like a David Lean film, even if it didn't have that director of photography with it? That's one thing I struggle with is... It's like movies are so much a collaboration and so it's hard to tell it's like should i attribute this to david lean's beautiful direction or to the dp's you know beautiful cinematography it's like i think there's definitely a marriage there of the two but it's kind of hard to appreciate like well which one should get the oscar you know right like how much of wes anderson's style is wes anderson or robert yeoman his director of photography or you know Like, the setting of the Coen Brothers movies, is that the Coen Brothers or Mary Zopfries, like, their costumer to make it feel like the time and all you of almost that? Have to, I mean, this may not be true, but you almost have to be in, in the industry to, like, really be able to pick apart it, pick those things apart to a T. It's like, I think I can kind of do it, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know who did that, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think you can give credit to David Lean, even just for his good discernment of bringing such a fellowship of professionals together mm-hmm. for this production. That's true. I look at a director and and I you know I am well aware that the credit is spread out across a lot of people. Mhm. But he brought them together. And he does have his team and like it or not Riley, I I honestly think that this is one of the most well-crafted films I've ever seen like, like after it I- or not Riley. <laughs> Well, hey, I think it was well-crafted. I agree with you. But Yep, thank you. I broke my teeth um, with movies, watching John Wayne movies. That's, that's when I, I first started watching movies in Belfast that were black and white. And John Wayne, you know, the American Wild West, the cowboy movies. That's where I fell in love with the... the screen. Right. So you're like Mickey Bow then, right? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I did. So, so to go from, and and I'm not diminishing John Wayne, but but John Wayne was not a great actor, <laughs> uh, yeah. and and those movies that he made were were not. Yeah, he was a good movie star, but yes. wasn't they were not iconic, or mm-hmm. you know. Um, true grit, though he does. Well, great. true grit, uh, yeah, yeah, but they're separated from the likes of Lawrence of Arabia and, and Dr. Shirago. There's, a, there's a, a big degree of separation. Mm. So when you get to these movies that become so big, so powerful, so iconic, I, I think that Dr. Shivargo belongs right there. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, of course. Yeah. I have a question about the poetry, uh, Billy. I'm not sure if oh. if they feature any of the poetry in the novel. Do they? Yes, they do. Because like we hear about the Laura po- poems and how it's you know that's iconic, but 
we don't hear any of it in the movie. So I was curious if that was, yeah, you know, it's it's featured it. more in the novel. The only time you hear it in the movie is when Guinness is reading it. I think aloud to right. read it. Okay, yeah, but but that's just a real a snippet, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very intentional. Like that's kind of Lee's yeah. way of saying like, oh, this is just for this world. Yeah. Like you wouldn't understand yeah. it, and it's yeah. it's like almost ingrained in the history of Russia and these people now. And it's mm-hmm. like the poetry is the people and the state that yeah. it's in afterwards. Mm-hmm. Shall we do the trivia? I guess so. Yeah. Well, we only have two challenges. So I've got some quotes here, and these are quotes from directors. Oh, shoot. And I want to see if you can identify uh, which quote is David Lean. Oh. <laughs> hmm. And then uh, if you guess it, then we can go through the others and see if you can guess who those quotes are from too. Do you want me, like, if you say it and I, like, immediately recognize it, should I just say it right then and there? If you immediately know it, then, uh, yeah. I'll just okay. Say it. Well, or should no, we maybe we should go through all of them first. Okay. I would caution you there, Connor. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> uh, you never know. <laughs> Not to get ahead of anything. Mm-hmm. I think this will be, this is a good exercise in... And really, like, knowing who a director is. And, you the Telemore is making me okay. overly confident. Oh, I'd be taking there, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, quote number one. Film is a dramatized reality, and it is the director's job to make it appear real. An audience should not be conscious of technique. Number two. I haven't come across any recent new ideas in film that strike me as being particularly important, and that have to do with form. I think that preoccupation with originality of form is more or less a fruitless thing. A truly original person with a truly original mind will not be able to function in the old form and will simply do something different. Others had much better think of the form as being some sort of classical tradition and try to work within it. Number three, my films are basically silent films. The dialogue just adds some weight. Number four, a director's job is to make something happen. And it doesn't happen by itself. So you wheedle, you cajole, you flatter people, you tell them what needs to be done. And if you don't bring a passion and intensity to it, you shouldn't be doing it. And I can reread any of those if you want. Hmm. Okay. Is number three David Lean? Number three is not David Lean. Gosh, dang it. (laughs) Okay, if I... (laughs) Because I don't want to just say, like, Oh, number four. Oh, number two. Oops. Oh, number one. I don't know. I mean, so question for after this. Will you, do you want me to just say the directors I think you know that what? it is? Or? Let's do that. That might be a better way to do it. Okay. Just to say, um, do you have any idea of, on any of these who, who it might be? I thought it would be like more iconic quotes. <laughs> oh, man. But you're supposed to be able to see, like, okay, what are they saying? Who Who would say that, you know? All right, and is, Billy, I mean, you're playing this too, so feel free mm-hmm. to... This is yeah, just for Connor. You can chime in, Billy, with, with so, what your thought is. Well, I, I, I want to see Connor succeed here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Billy. Passing so, the buck. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'll give him one more shot. Okay. Is it is it number two? That was like my other thought against it whenever I heard that. Oh! Yeah. All right, Billy, take over. It is definitely number one. It is number one. Oh, nice. I know. Whenever I heard the dramatized again, I was like, oh, of course it's lean because he loves, like, you know, doing the Noel Coward's um, Mm -hmm. theater adaptation. Good job, (laughs) Billy. Okay. That's good. Okay, so let's see if you can nail this down, and I'll start giving you hints if you need. Um, 
Yeah, director's job is to make something happen, and it doesn't happen by itself. So you wheedle, you cajole, you flatter people, you tell them what needs to be done. And if you don't bring passion and intensity to it, you shouldn't be doing it. Okay, and and then one question I have, are all of these directors alive or dead? Not all of them are alive. Is number four Orson Welles? No. So, number four is a modern director. Oh, really? Uh, still making films. Either mm. making or, you know, planning on making. Mm. Um, That'd be Martin Scorsese? Mm-mm. So this director, he's known for making profitable movies. Oh, Connor. Jeez. It's not Michael Bay, is it? No. No, come on. I'm talking profitable. I mean, Michael Bay's profitable, but, like, profitable, profitable. Oh. But he's still, like, considered, like, an artistic director? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Define that how you will. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg? Mm-mm. What's the highest grossing film of all time? Oh, it's James Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know very many James Cameron quotes. Titanic. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I'm not expecting you to just know the quote. It's trying to figure out what, you know, what do they say? Who would say this? I'm trying um, to get into the mentality of it. Right. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. This okay. one's good. My films are basically silent films. The dialogue just adds some weight. I know. I, I like, feel like I just read this. Is it True. Guillermo del Toro? Mm-mm. Nope. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Man, I am. I was like way too wow. overconfident wow. at the beginning. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, let's see. How can I help you out here? Um, is this one of the living or dead ones? Uh, I think he might be dead. I think he's dead. Oh shoot. He's not an English director or American. Sorry. Okay. It's hard to give a hint without giving it away. I know. And I don't. I don't really know that many of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he's worked with Clint Eastwood on a few occasions. Sergio Leone? Yeah, see, that was a giveaway. I was kind of wondering if it was him whenever you said it wasn't American. I was like, oh, hmm. it might be him. Yeah. Sergio Leone. Yep. Good, the band, the ugly. We should. So, yeah, him. how many? He did just three with Clint, with Eastwood? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so it was the Dollars trilogy Dollars that he trilogy. did. I watched the first one not too long ago. So good. They're all like amazing. Them. Yeah, and they get, I noticed they get progressively longer. Yeah. The first one's only like an hour and 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the then last one's at least three hours. Over three hours. Yeah. so good. <laughs> I need to watch that. Um, we should do that for the Epic series. Okay, I haven't come across any recent new ideas in film that strike me as being particularly important and that have to do with form. I think that a preoccupation with originality of form is more or less a fruitless thing. A truly original person with a truly original mind will not be able to function in the old form and will simply do something different. Others had much better think of the form as being some sort of classical tradition and try to work within it. That's a This is harder than I was thinking it would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not getting many points for this. Um, is this also oh, yeah, living points. or dead? Uh, he is dead. Okay. Um, you have mentioned one of his films today. Orson Welles. No. What's the name of that fella who did Lord of the Rings? That's Peter Jackson. That's Peter He's Jackson. still alive, though. That was not alive. him. Yeah. He's one of your favorites. Really? Yeah. Or at least you've listed him as among your favorites, but I, I mean, you say that about Is it Andre Tarkovsky? <laughs> no, I haven't listed any Tarkovsky films, this Mm-mm. one. No. That is tricky. <laughs> I have a lot of favorite directors. I want, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if, he'd, if this would be considered 
like if he's considered a, cla- a pioneer of like modern, not modern Hollywood, new age, new Hollywood. I don't know. Well, can so you tell me like what year he was like born in, so I can just kind of get a grasp on things? Born, okay. Let's see, he made movies for a long time. Okay. Um, he died in 1999. Stanley Kubrick. Yep. Good job. You get some points. Thank you. I'm gonna give you some points. <laughs> what movie? That's did probably too hard. Uh, 2001. Oh right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That was tricky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I wasn't yeah. sure how to approach it. Um, I like it though. I think I thought that was a good like alternative because I was like at first I thought it was just gonna be like facts about like David Lean or I don't yeah. know something about that and I was like wow I'm really gonna get screwed over on this yeah. and I mean that was already <laughs> not great but but this is, this is more fun though right it's yeah those quotes I like that I like mixing okay. it up. And the next challenge, and uh, and y'all both contribute, uh, or all you right. can. Both are welcome. So, Doctor Zhivago is the eighth highest grossing film of all time, right? Adjusted, adjusted for inflation. For inflation. Mm-hmm. Can you list the other nine? Oh, frick! <laughs> um, Gone with the Wind is up there, right? Right. That's number one. Number one. Yeah. Uh, is Cleopatra up there? It is not. Mm. Titanic. Titanic is number three. Avatar. Avatar's number two. Wizard so of Oz? Incorrect. We we have also mentioned this movie today, or one mm. of these movies today. Gave Dr. Zhivago some competition. Oh, Sound of Music. Yes, that's number oh, five. I didn't realize that really? was up there. Huh. We still have number four, number six, seven, nine, and ten. Two of these movies are in the same franchise. Is episode five one of them? No. But is that the correct franchise? Yes. Episode 6? No. Force Awakens? Yes, that's number 10. Mm-hmm. Oh. And Phantom Menace? No. Mm. The original? Huh? Wow. Original's number 4. Okay. Jaws? Yeah. Jaws is on there. Okay. So you've got two more. Number 6 and 7. Well done, Connor. One Ooh. of which is considered an epic. Ooh. And none of them are like quote-unquote modern movies correct the other two are not yeah okay well we have to be careful how, how do we define modern movies? I, I okay i'm just gonna say 98 and onward not on there okay we mentioned this movie one episode back or two sorry two episodes back not in the minisode but in the okay in the, the um in our prince of egypt episode what was it oh prince of egypt <laughs> <laughs> part of the sword and sandal genre as you put it i think oh ten commandments yes that's number right. seven. So number six. Six isn't an animated movie, is it? It's not animated. Mm-mm. And her? No. Mm, that was a good guess, though. Well, that was a good guess. Yeah. It was a great guess. I'm mm. kind of surprised that's not on there. Yeah. Oof. Can you give me like I'll, a decade yeah, for I'll this? I'll tell you, it's uh, the range is from 1950 to 2000s. 2000 sorry okay. uh, is that too broad of a range <laughs> no that that helps out a little bit okay. could you give me a genre so, <laughs> let me not give you a genre let me give you so the the title is not it's a initials et yep oh that's nice i was wondering if that's where well, it was well done it's a giveaway and that's all 10 right so adjusted for inflation gone yeah. with the wind it's like it's crazy how much money that made yeah it's nuts. You know, it's like everyone and their dog went to go see From a movie. novel. Mm-hmm. Right, from a novel. How many of those would be from novels? Um, uh, Jaws is... Um, 
Ten Commandments. Is, is it Sound of Music? Is that, is that a book? I don't think so. No, no that wouldn't. That wouldn't make sense to be a book. <laughs> um, I mean, Titanic is based on a true story. Mm-hmm. So um, not many. I mean, yeah. if you want to consider Ten Commandments. Zivargo. Adaptation. But. Yeah. Is G- Givago's on there, right? Yeah, that was, yeah, that number, was number eight. eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the yeah. one I, right. I gave you. But yeah, so that one. Half of them? Uh, like, before we'd even, before I watched this movie, I had no, I really had no idea what this movie was. I mean, oh. I'd heard of it, but, and so... Just I had no idea like it made this much money and it was that yeah. big of a movie. You know? Yeah, this one had been like number one on my watch to watch list for like years. Yeah, I kind of thought it was more of a niche movie, but mm. that was not the case. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it made and it didn't make very much money at first, I think. But then they did some like crazy marketing. Spent like last what minute. a million dollars on promotional stuff, yeah, mm-hmm. which totally got it to number eight. It's a good job, y'all did well. That's Thank all I you. have for you. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so much more that I feel like we could say yeah. about this movie and yeah. just keep yeah. on going. This could be like a three or four hour. We could like match the runtime of the movie with this I episode we if we wanted to. But I mean, I think, you know, this I refuse is probably... to do another episode on it. I <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. But I mean, Billy, we'll definitely have to have you back. It was wonderful. Oh, thank having you very you much. Yeah. And... yeah. It's been yeah. a lot of fun. It's yeah. great having you. Thank so you. Good. Yeah, definitely. Well, Maybe we can find a movie that, uh, we we can all agree on. We all right? agree on. Maybe you know so. we we don't disagree that often. We've, yeah. we've agreed most of the time. But I think yeah. it's just uh, Shape of Water and uh, Secret of Nim are kind of the two yeah. that we disagreed on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. next week we are covering another David Lean film, the wonderful Lawrence of Arabia, one of my personal favorites. And yeah, yeah. So look forward yeah. to that. Make sure to watch it. It's pretty good. Thanks to John Skinner for the use of the graphic. Thanks for um, to Luke Hogan and Caden Reed for our theme song and all of that good stuff. And please make sure to, you know, leave a comment. And we're trying to figure out how to like bump up our social media presence and all that. Like we'll probably be making a Facebook and Instagram and Twitter page soon. And all of that sort of stuff. Whatever you want. And so be on the lookout yeah, for that. Just, yeah, be on the lookout for that. We'll make a little try to community. You know, people can put up whatever they want to give us hints and all that sort of stuff and yeah we'd love any sort of feedback on this all right guys thanks for listening mm-hmm. thank you have so much have a wonderful much. evening morning afternoon thank you. whatever it is midnight if you listen and late at night <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah we'll see you guys later mm-hmm.